Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. Stefan Dyer has had a remarkable few years. He's described himself as an eternal immigrant. He was born in Costa Rica to Peruvian parents. He then moved to El Salvador and then Mexico. At 15, he went to boarding school near Montreal and then to the University of Toronto, where he studied commerce and finance. Following university, he enjoyed successive advancement at a major bank, working his way to a senior manager position in the wealth management area. His family was proud. He had a steady girlfriend. He was making good money. His life was set. But he had a secret love to perform and to make people laugh. He began to do stand-up in Spanish and then in English. He started having some success, but how do you pivot from a stable career working at a bank to then do stand-up full-time? Let's find out. Thank you for listening. This is episode 18. Public speaking, never mind doing stand-up, is number one, if not number two, on everybody's list in terms of, oh my God, I never want to have to do that. I'll jump out of an airplane before I'll stand on stage and speak. I thought it would be an interesting take on courage, and your own story is quite an interesting one. Thank you. Yeah, I never thought I would be doing this in my wildest dreams. I joined Toastmasters in 2012 with hopes that one day I would be able to do a five-minute stand-up comedy speech. And for the people who don't know what Toastmasters is, it's a non-for-profit organization around the world that hosts one-hour meetings for people to overcome the fear of public speaking, and you also develop leadership skills along the way. There's thousands of clubs around the world. I, I belong to a club in Toronto that would meet at Scotia Plaza, and I walked by that club for months, so scared of joining. And I just never did. I went on the website and I never sent an email until one day I did. And then I was like, yeah, I'll be there Wednesday, 7.30 in the morning because that's when it started. And I didn't show up. And then I would go the next week. Oh, no, I'll come the next time. And then I didn't show up. And then after a month, I showed up. Partially because I was scared, but also because I had to get up really early. Mostly because I was scared. In eight years, I've never missed a meeting because it's early. I've missed it because I'm away on vacation or for whatever other reason. And then as I started to get confidence gradually, I stepped up more. I did more speeches and I started to notice that people thought I was funny in speeches where they weren't supposed to be funny. So I was like, I think I'm funny. I knew I was funny because I had already started doing videos online and some of my, my comedy sketches went viral on Vine Back in the day, it's like the TikTok, but for old people in 2013. <laughs> and then I started doing videos on Instagram and Facebook, and some of them went viral. And, and I knew that I was funny on video, but live, I didn't know. So when I started doing that, then I started reading a lot of books. I did my first stand-up comedy show in 2014 in Spanish at an open mic, and it sucked, but people liked it. And then I sucked for the next two years from 2014 to 2016, just like horribly. It wasn't just that people weren't laughing, like some jokes were landing, but it was just humiliating for me to go up on stage to do what I loved, but what I thought I knew I loved, but people, like, they weren't laughing. They were giving me the, oh, yeah, it's good that you're doing what you love. 
And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I knew I had I knew I had to suck for years before I got really good at it because Kevin Hart and other famous comedians have sucked for 10 years. So I'm still learning, obviously, but it was gradual. And then I started doing a little better. I started reading books. I started doing lots of writing, a lot of exercises from stand-up comedy books. I joined Second City uh, where I met you to do stand-up comedy the first level, then I did level two, level three. And then as I was starting to get better, then more opportunities were starting to come towards me. And my best friend, who I also quit the bank with, who is my business partner right now and the co-owner, co-founder of my comedy and public speaking school, we started together. So everything was happening to both of us. And he mentioned it, let's quit, let's quit the bank. And I was like, no way I'm quitting the bank because my parents have sacrificed a lot. I'm getting like paid a lot. It feels like a disservice to all my immigrant friends in Canada. Like they're cleaning floors, they're doing so many things and I'm just here chilling and like making so much money in wealth management that I worked hard for, granted. And it would just feel like I'm dishonoring so many people that were rooting for me, including my parents who paid for my education for me to come here. But then you can't stop thinking about it. And it's, nah, I want to do it. And then you do really good in the next show. And you're like, nah, I'm not going to do it. You're really good. And you're like, should I do it? Maybe I'll do it. And then the more you start believing, wow, maybe I could do what I love for a living. Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the dream for everyone? Do what you love for a living. And then you add to that, as you make people laugh. Isn't that even even better? Maybe like you love to kill people, but that sucks because you're harming other people. <laughs> and, and But if, if you're making other people laugh and making them happy, isn't that like the dream? So little by little, gradually, we started convincing ourselves. Then I set a time. I set a, a due date. It would be April 2017. I needed specific days to be able to apply for Canadian citizenship as a permanent resident. So that would be April 4, 2017. So April 5th, I quit the bank. I gave him like a month notice, but that was my last legal day. And then April 6th, 2017, I would go on a three-week tour with Juan to Miami, Costa Rica, and Colombia. Now, when I look back, I sucked. <laughs> I was like, man, I have... Now that I look back, I'm like, the balls to quit my job. And I, like, I sucked as a comedian, but I knew that it didn't matter. I still had to go through it. And, and I'm happy that I trusted in myself so much. Probably four years from now, I'm going to look back at today and I'm going to be like, you still suck. But it doesn't matter because that's the process. Like, You have to bet on yourself and know that it's going to get better if you work hard. And I quickly understood that it, it, it wasn't comedy that would make me happy and it wasn't born talent that would make me a great comedian. I, I, I started to read a lot and study people who have accomplished extraordinary things. And it's all the same. It's waking up early, having healthy habits, eating well, exercising, journaling, affirmations, meditation, reading, all these little things that make you achieve success consistently. Gratitude, gratitude is huge for me. So I was not going to like reinvent the wheel. I was just going to copy the blueprint that people who have achieved extraordinary things were doing. And now I'm a firm believer that hard work beats talent because I know so many talented people that 
couldn't do it full time because you really have to do so many things, not just on stage. Like you're on stage like 0.001% of the time. You have to be good at marketing. You have to be good at networking, writing emails, finances, in uh, branding, everything with people, relationships. You have to be healthy. Like it's a marathon. I'm happy that I made that decision and bet on myself because now after four years, everything that I do is investing in me, not making money for the bank, which I'm grateful for because those seven years at Scotiabank made me a really good entrepreneur. But I'm just happy that I'm investing in myself and my career, doing what I love. And I'm able to be a, a fantastic father and husband and spend more time with my wife and, and, and son. I want to take you right back to the very beginning when you were talking about you got up on stage and yeah. you're just absolutely dying up there. And yeah, that would be the moment when most people would say, uh, yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm not coming back. I'm not doing this again. I'm not going to put myself through this. Yeah. And that's where most people end their dream. I'm a, a big fan of Seth Godin's and many others who believe in the practice, right? Yeah. The practice of showing up every day and doing the work and applying yourself. His belief is it's less about talent, it's more about skill. And you can develop the skill to be an artist, be a performer, be a comedian, but it's that daily application. Take me back to the dinner conversations in the Dyer household when you were a kid. What was that like? When I was a kid, to be totally honest, I blocked that away from my brain because it was, uh, in some ways, a very painful time. I was uh, a son of Peruvian parents in Costa Rica. Everything's cool. And then when I was six, my parents divorced for the better. My dad remarried, my mom remarried. But my household was not a very healthy one. My mom was dealing with her own problems. My My brothers were going through alcohol and drug problems. I was by myself most of the time. And then when I was 10, I went to live with my dad in El Salvador. So I don't remember much before that. I remember playing dominoes with my brother. I remember always wanting to be a soccer player or an actor. I remember loving playing soccer in the rain. I, I remember loving spelling and math in school i was really i i was always loved communication and spelling now i know that it was communication and my love for words uh, but if i can remember anything from the dinner table it was like big lunches and dinners with lots of peruvian families and their kids who i played with uh, but this was mainly on the weekends and mostly my mom was always the center of attention she is uh, like super funny charismatic She's an artist as well. She's a painter. My big brother is a musician and a comedian as well. And I never spoke. I, I, I really never spoke. My brothers were 11 or ni and, and nine years older than me. My dad was a, a great, hardworking businessman who doesn't speak that much unless it's like sports that we bond over. But I just, I guess that's why I never really thought I could do this. Nobody still in my family, they don't think I'm funny. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and I don't care. Like my brother, even my, my parents don't think my other brother, who's a comedian, is funny. 
Alexis, the middle brother, who, who, who's 42, we all think he's the funniest, but he doesn't have the courage to go up on stage. So it is what it is. I don't remember much, but when I used to go up on stage and sucked at the beginning, I just knew that, man, it's in me. It's in me. And, and I'll fucking show you guys. Just give me a couple more years and I'll show you guys. And I don't care what, like at the time it sucked because it's humiliating. When I go and see the videos, oh, like I cringe because I was just going up on stage to say what I thought was funny and learn the hardest ways, which is from experience. Yes, experience is a great teacher, but experience is also costly. So maybe if I read books and took workshops and tried to learn from other people, which I did, I would be successful, for example, in seven years. But if I just went on stage not wanting to learn from anyone or books or workshops, it would take me 13 years. So why would I want to do it in 13 years if I can do it in seven years? It was hard. It was hard. And you need to know your audience because now I know where I will kill and do really well and where I will not do that. What event in your life has had the most profound impact? Definitely telling my mom when I was age 10 that I wanted to go live with my dad in another country because that household was not healthy for a 10-year-old. And I just remember crying so much, not wanting to tell her. And I just remember us having a conversation, her on the bed and me under the bed. And, and like both of us crying and, and being like, yep, we're doing this. And it was initially going to be for a year, but it turned out to be five years until I went to boarding school to Quebec. Maybe because I traveled a lot and went to boarding school, I was forced to become independent and resilient at a younger age. So that's why I don't think so many things have been hard for me that have been hard for other people, like living in four or five countries, boarding school at 15, university at 18 in another city. I saw how a lot of people would not be able to handle the freedom in university because they were like, ah, now I can drink, now I can do drugs, now I can have sex, nobody's going to tell me anything. And they would just fail out of first year because they couldn't handle the freedom I like to think that because I had that freedom in boarding school in some ways, because I was by myself, I managed it very well. Also, I knew that I couldn't fuck up because my dad was not going to pay for another year of university. Like I, I had, like failure was not an option. Not there, not in my comedy career, not in my banking career. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so serious about what I do. What does living courageously mean to you? It's going to sound cheesy, but living authentically. If you want to do comedy, then do comedy. If you feel like you are not heterosexual and you want to come out of the closet, live that life. If you want to do ballet and you're a guy, also do that. If you want to quit your banking job and do something that your parents don't approve of or you think that they don't approve of, or that society doesn't approve of, do it as well. The one thing I regret about my high school is that I never did theater. And the reason why was that I thought people would say I'm gay. I think coming from Latin America where there's a macho culture, if you do theater, you're gay. Like I was cool in high school. I was the MVP of soccer, 
I got MVP for rugby as well. I had a girlfriend. I made people laugh. And it's not that I didn't want to tarnish my reputation, but I was like, I don't know. I'm just not going to do it. But I always wanted to do it. I, I was always in love with performance. And only when I started working at the bank, then I was able to really have money, because before that I was broke, to be able to spend money in doing stuff that I loved. For the first time, I could invest in courses, in soft skills that, that I thought I loved. So I joined stand-up comedy courses. I joined storytelling courses. I joined Telling Your Truth with Diona from the former director of Diversity and Inclusion at, at Second City. Like these little things you can't really do before because you don't have the money. I didn't really know that I loved performing so much. And with the years through self-awareness, I was able to understand and that image that you wanted to maintain, in a yeah. way, kept you from that authentic self. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of people deal with that, right? And the challenge is to suddenly say, I think maybe that's not who I am, or that's not what I want. I'm now going to embrace that part of myself. Yeah. To your point, it's very hard coming out of the closet in many areas of your life. For example, a year ago, I got hair surgery. It's basically they take hair from the back and they put it wherever you're balding. And right. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to tell anyone. And then I'm like, fuck no. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to sit with the doctor and I'm going to tell him I want a sponsorship deal. If I put it all over my Instagram and I tell everyone, because a lot of guys want to do it, but they're just scared and they don't want people to know. And they're also scared of admitting that they want to feel more beautiful or look more beautiful. 99% of guys are like, oh, I don't care, man. I'm just going to shave it and I don't care. Bullshit. Of course they care. But they don't just have, they don't have the balls to admit that they care and, and that they want to feel more beautiful. This was a year ago. I've probably gotten like hundreds of messages from guys or guys' wives or girlfriends, hey, does it hurt? How much does it cost? How long do you have to be like at home, like just resting? Like so many people want to do it, but they just don't want to. They're scared. They're scared of admitting it. Everything that I'm scared of, most of the things, I scream it even louder in some ways. So uh, I was also scared of being like, Oh, what are people going to say if I'm getting like, they're going to say I'm like so full of myself, so like vain, but I'm like, fuck it. Like as much I'm scared, it's going to empower so many people who are scared and maybe I'm going to give them a voice because they've lost theirs. And everything that I share that I'm scared of at the beginning turns out to blow up and empower so many people. So now... I, I share it on purpose. And these little things are the things that have led me to live a life that I love. The first one was comedy. So why not continue to live authentically in so many different areas of my life? Because I'm not just a comedian. I'm also a father, a husband, a son, an athlete, everything. I think when you live in the arena and you live authentically, you're going to feel so much better on a daily basis. What do you think is essential to living a courageous life? First, surrounding yourself with positive people. Because otherwise, the haters, and those haters could be your own family, eh? Like, <laughs> and often they're your own family too. They're going to criticize you because they're scared 
that you're going to be doing incredible things and they're going to be left behind. Like Brene Brown always says, if you're not in the arena with the rest of us fighting and getting your ass kicked on occasion, I'm not interested in your feedback. And the feedback that most people give you are criticizing you and those people are not doing anything for themselves. So at first it really hit me. It still does in some ways. Just because of the potential comments or feedback on Facebook or Instagram that I would get based on these posts, I would not even post it or do videos or do stand-up or whatever. And then little by little, my business partner Juan always says this, at first they're going to tell you, why are you doing this? You suck, blah, 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 blah. And later they're going to ask you, oh, how did you do it? Can you help me? The same fucking haters, the same. When I realize that, I'm like, whatever. They're going to ask me for help in a couple of years or tomorrow when I do this post. I just have to go my own way and, and, and do what makes me feel great. But it's so, so much easier said than done. Because the people who often give you feedback are, who, are people who you love. Like your parents or your cousins or your brothers or your best friends. And they don't do it because they're hating. Like most of the time they do it because they care about you or whatever, or because they're insecure themselves. Surrounding yourself with positive people who encourage you because they're also doing incredible things is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would say is just read books and learn. If you can read stuff and get the blueprint of what other people have done to not bump into so many walls, you're always going to fail. That's fine. But as long as you don't fail too many times that discourages you, that's fine. And, and as long as that others have failed so much as well, you're not the only one you're going to feel so much better. What impact do you want to have on the world? I want them to know that it's possible to have fun and work hard. I think I'm here to make the world more fun. The mission of our company is to teach, entertain, and inspire through the power of comedy. So I think that's what I'm here to do. Just do the job, do it really well, but also make people laugh in the process. I used to hate it so much at the bank when I would make everyone laugh on the floor, like all my, like my team or whatever. And some people would misinterpret that with me not caring because I was like having fun and talking to everyone. No, they want me to be like my head down, being miserable, super stressed, negative, pessimistic all day. And then they'll realize, oh, this guy's really working hard because look at him. He's like looking like shit all day. Like, why does it have to be like that? And I did get that feedback, especially at the beginning of my career, that I wasn't taking work seriously. It was good self-awareness, but I'm here to show the world that you, you can laugh and learn and be really good at business at the same time. You know what I realized is that it wasn't the comedy. I thought that Doing comedy would make me happy, but I quickly realized that it's very easy to be miserable. And I thought that my bank job was making me miserable. So I was like, oh, the solution is just doing something that I love. But it's not the solution because you're going to find other reasons to be miserable. So then through studying people and reading personal growth books and understanding that I had to do something extraordinary to succeed what, where others had failed, which is 
doing comedy full time. People who were much funnier than me with many years more in the business had failed doing this full time. So I had to do something extraordinary to not fail where many people had. So I studied and read lots of personal growth books, which I still do, to copy the blueprint of people who had already done it. Not in comedy. I also studied comedians. And then I just copied it. And that is it. You have to do exercise, eat well, be mentally well. So meditate. I'm agnostic, so I, I don't believe in, I don't pray or anything. But relationships, the quality of your relationships impacts happiness, like, incredibly. Your financial, your business, gratitude is a huge part of it. So. I totally changed my life. Had I done that when I was at the bank, maybe I wouldn't have quit, but too late. I'm here now and, and I'm loving my life. I'm happy I quit because it led me to be the person that I am today. That's awesome. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me and, and for listening to me. This has been great. Stefan is the co-founder of Malpensando, a bilingual school that helps people become funny, confident speakers. He's had sold-out comedy workshops. He's won numerous awards in public speaking through Toastmasters International. And he received the Latin Comedian of the Year Prize by Latin Awards Canada, following years of successful bilingual shows in Toronto. He's also the host of the Stefan Dyer podcast in English and Spanish. And he can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll share those details in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe And if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. Leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I invite you to follow my blog, where I continue to explore how to show up more courageously. Visit my website at www.lindamclaughlin.com. I look forward to sharing my next guest's story. She's an entrepreneur and creative director in the fashion industry. She also learned how to put many aspects of her life in perspective after a major health crisis. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena.